all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It is such a joy to be with you this morning as we sing about the great faithfulness of our God who is faithful morning by morning. And we see his faithfulness, don't we? See his faithfulness in the fact that he has brought us together this morning to come and hear the word of God. It is such a great display of faithfulness from God to uphold us. Um, if you, even if you think about the prayer of Paul, uh, not the prayer of Paul, but uh, the words of Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he says, In him we live, we move, and we find our being. It is him who sustains us. Amen. I see uh, new faces, and let me take this time to welcome you. Um, uh, there's a lady with uh, Graham and Auntie Amber. Uh, I don't know um, her name. Eddie. Eddie. Eddie from Jovic. Uh, and I see a family um, there at the back. Uh, welcome. Uh, what's your name, sir? Amen. Amen. And I see a brother there at the back. I still see you with, with your mask on, sir. <laughs> Um, what's your name, brother? Okay. All right. Get to know them. Um, welcome. This is a Central Baptist Church where the Word of God is central. And we thank God that we are going to hear the Word of God even this morning. We have been going through the Psalms of Lament. As I was uh, sitting there, I was thinking about the Psalms and, and just how amazing the psalms speak the language of the soul don't they uh, they they speak all the tongues that the soul wants to speak they speak the tongue of joy and, and happiness to to god you, you 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 find a lot of psalms calling us to rejoice in the lord they, they speak the tongue of despair in, in the midst of the troubles of life, in the midst of um, affliction and trials, they, they speak the, 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 the tongue of despair and they, they speak the tongue of hope to God. They also speak the tongue of justice. They call for justice. God to display his justice on those who seek to do us harm. And that's what we see this morning. Psalm 109, this marks the end of our series in the Psalms of Lament. Psalm 109, we're going to look at verse 1 up until verse 31. And the title of um, this morning's sermon is Praying for Retribution. Praying for Retribution. The word retribution means vengeance. So praying for vengeance. Let us uh, draw near to the Lord, shall we? And commit this time in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord and God, we want to thank you for your great faithfulness. We want to thank you for the book of Psalms, the great hymn book of the church. We want to glorify your name, O oh God, for uh, these amazing words that teach us how to pray, that teach us how to cry out to you. And as we look at your words, we pray that you will open our minds to understand, 
our hearts to receive conform our will to your will that you may be glorified in everything in the precious name of our lord and savior jesus christ we pray this amen how do we pray or how do we respond when we face opposition uh, opposition that seeks nothing but to destroy our faith and lives how do we pray when we hear of the experiences of the church in hostile environments when we hear about churches in Malaysia in Oman in uh, in Ethiopia in Nigeria when we hear about the experiences of our fellow brothers and sisters even though we have not met them but we are connected to them in Christ and we hear that they living in these hostile environments that they are experiencing hostility that they are being killed daily I read that um, I'll also talk about that um, in the sermon that um, so far the ISIS has killed about 250,000 Christians for their faith. How do we respond when we hear that? Well, our Lord himself experienced the bitterest opposition and betrayal ever known to man. The, the, the week before his crucifixion was a day of great pain and betrayal. As he entered Jerusalem, remember that scene as you read in, in, in the Gospels, being greeted by the joyous shouts of the crowd, Hosanna. Jesus knew his betrayal was at hand. The crowds would eventually turn. The Pharisees would secure his death. And the deepest wound of all, Judas, would betray him his own disciple he knew all this lay before him all will be done according to the scriptures when you read Acts chapter 1 verse 15 after the passion um, event uh, by the passion events I'm talking about um, Christ entering Jerusalem and Christ uh, being tried uh, by Pontius Pilate and, and the others Christ being taken to the cross to face a death he did not deserve and Christ being buried and rising again from the dead as these events unfolded, after these events unfolded, Peter stood up among the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 15 and said these words. He said, brothers, the, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Today's text um, is one of those scriptures Peter cites. In verse 8 of Psalm chapter 109, he cites this passage in um, Acts chapter 1 verse 20 that says, May another take his office. 
uh, that the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand through the mouth of David. And in Psalm 109, the Holy Spirit speaks of the betrayal of David's greatest son, Jesus Christ our Lord, whom we celebrate. And I might add and submit. As we study this prayer of David, indeed the spirit breathed prayer of Jesus, the spirit instructs the church how to pray to. Psalm 109 teaches us how to pray for retribution, for vengeance. God's enemies are actively seeking our death. God will act for his namesake to bring about utter, the utter end of his enemies. But we must pray. Let me give you my sermon in one sentence. If you are to forget everything, don't forget this one. Praying like David liberates our hearts to worship and hope amidst bitter opposition. Praying like David liberates our hearts to worship and hope amidst bitter opposition. One Psalm 109, verse 1 up until verse 31, I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read God's word. This is God's word. Let us hear him. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encycle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. For they reward me evil for good and hatred for love. Appoint the wicked man against them. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty and let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and, and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the, the Lord continually, that he may be cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as, as, his, clo as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O oh God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your namesake because of your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. For I am poor and needy and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. 
I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they work their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand, O Lord. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They rise, they arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May your accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give thanks. I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. This is the word of God. Praying like David liberates our hearts to worship and hope amidst bitter opposition. To, to arrive at such a place, we must learn how to pray for retribution. To do this will follow the pattern of the psalm. This psalm is structured as a basic envelope uh, pattern. There's a protest, there's an appeal <coughs> for retribution, excuse me. <coughs> There's an appeal for deliverance and there's praise. So we'll divide the sermon into three um, uh, movements. First of all, the protest. <clears throat> the protest we see here in this first protest, we see God's people experience hatred for love. God's people experience hatred for love. We see this in verses 1 to verse 5. David opens, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, when you do this in, in these times, it's, uh, it can be very, <laughs> it can be very um, nerve-wracking for, for, for other people. So don't worry about it. Um, it's just a, a, a throat uh, dealing with me at the moment. Okay, uh, uh, David opens Psalm 109 with a protest, an appeal to God for action. He says in verse 1, Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me. Notice the emphasis on mouths here. God's mouth is silent, but the venomous mouths of his opponents are wide open. These mouths are wicked and deceitful. The, the, the Greek version of this psalm uses the phrase, The mouth of the treacherous one. That is the mouth of the traitor. In verses 2 to verse 5, these treacherous mouths are filled with wickedness, deceit, hate. They are like an angry mob. Uh, David's betrayers are encycling him. They are, they, 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 they are mouthing their, their attack. They are mounting their attack on him. They are preparing for the kill. But what has David done? Right? What has David done? Well, what has he done to deserve this? Nothing. Yet they attack him without cause. He's shown them love, yet out of their mouths come wicked, treacherous hate. In return for his, thank you, in return for his love, they accuse him. They reward him evil for good, hatred for love. As the Spirit spoke beforehand through David, we find Jesus' own experience of betrayal. His own experience of receiving hatred for love. They hated him for what he did. He came to his own, and his own received him not. 
Jesus spoke of his love for Gentiles and they sought to throw him off a cliff in Luke chapter 4 verse 28 to 29. Jesus healed on the Sabbath and so the religious leaders sought to kill him in John chapter 5 verse 18. Jesus cast out demons and he was accused of being Beelzebub. Jesus' love infuriated the, the religious leaders. Jesus said to them in John chapter 10 verse 32, For which of my good works are you going to stone me for? They hated him for what he taught. Jesus said in John chapter 7 verse 7, The, the, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. The most loving thing Jesus did was to speak the light of truth into a world of darkness. But people loved darkness rather than light. Truth drove them mad. They foamed at their mouth. They wanted him dead. The, 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 the religious leaders uh, plotted his arrest. The, the, the treacherous Judas Iscariot hands him over for worthless reward of 30 pieces of silver. Though people welcome him on Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday before uh, the Friday of his crucifixion, in, in less than a week they are shouting, crucify him. The, the, the same people, the, the same people that were crying out, Hosanna, are the same people who are crying, crucify him. For a bargain. They want to swap with they want to swap him for a criminal an insurrectionist a criminal a murderer Barabbas Jesus experienced wicked deceitful treacherous hate for the greatest gestures of love the world has ever seen he displayed great love and they responded with hate what about us what about the church Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 24 and 25 a disciple is not greater than his master if they call the master of the house Beelzebub how much more will they malign those of his household in John chapter 15 verse 20 he says if they persecuted me Will they not persecute you also? From atheists, those who believe that there is no God in the world, to terrorists, those who actively seek out uh, Christians to uh, destroy and kill them, the church is viewed as the scum of the earth. Yet the very, it is viewed as the, the very demons of cultural progress and religious purity. Yet our posture in the world is one of love. We, we proclaim God's message of love and forgiveness through Christ alone. They call us imperialists. We hold to the Bible's definition of marriage and its warnings against sexual sin. They call us bigots and our message hates speech. We fight to rescue babies in utero from the surgeon's abortive blade. They call us haters of women's rights. We are the stench of the earth in South Africa and around the world. Around the world, the church is being ruthlessly slaughtered. We just heard today. For example, 
ISIS, as I said, has butchered about 250,000 Christians. And I don't think, I think that the number is more because this statistic well, is from 2016. So think about years after that. Many of those Christians, they were butchered simply because they bear the name Christian. In the face of such wickedness, how must we pray? David is our teacher here. David is our teacher as we um, draw near to, to God. Secondly, we see the appeal here. In this appeal, we see God's people pray for retribution. God's people pray for retribution. We see this in verses 6 to verse 20. David is undergoing the trial of his life here. Starting in verse 6, David prays a curse on his enemy. He says, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. David wants his opponent to undergo the same treatment he experienced himself. He, he wants God to return the favor on his enemy. He wants the betrayer to be betrayed. The word accuser in verse 6 is the Hebrew word Satan. Uh, the word, the Hebrew word Satan. Satan's name and chief attribute is derived from this word, accuser. There's a subtle irony here as we think about Judas's betrayal of Jesus. In the Gospels, we learn that Satan entered Judas in Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Satan used Judas and, and then condemned his soul to death. Judas, Judas hanged himself. The betrayer was betrayed. In verses 8 to 20, David prays for the complete and utter desolation of his enemy. Here embodied as a single person, he says, may another take his office. In verse 8, this is cited again, as I said, in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. He says, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow, in verse 9. In other words, may he die. May creditors seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. May his posterity be cut off. His name blotted out, verse 13. May the, the Lord cut off the memory of his family from the earth, verse 15. David's enemies here were typified as those who pursued the poor and needy and put the brokenhearted to death. In verse 16, David prays that God's curse would soak them into, into them. It would soak into them like oil to the bone. Verse 18, David says in verse 20, May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. David is praying here for the utter desolation, the utter destruction of his enemies. He says, May they be cut off from the memory of the earth. This was his appeal for retribution, for godly vengeance, for righteous vengeance. How did Jesus pray? Did he ever pray like this? 
oftentimes when we when we hear uh, stuff like this from the Psalms, we we become a bit nervous, don't we? We, we? we don't know how to how do I appropriate this in the here and now? Jesus on the cross when he prayed in Luke chapter twenty three verse thirty four, he says, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do what what they do." This was a prayer for heavenly mercies, but at other times he spoke bitter curses on his enemies. Think about the seven woes against the Pharisees. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 23 verse 32 to 36. He says, fill them up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some, of, uh, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute them from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on, on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." Think about Jesus' words concerning Judas in Matthew chapter 26, verse 24. He says, woe, destruction. That, that word woe is destruction. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So bad was the sin of treachery that Dante conceived it as the lowest circle in hell think also of Jesus' second coming after Jesus returns for the final battle anyone whose name is not found in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire as we follow the scope of scripture from David to Jesus these curses come on every enemy of God Jesus' work and prayers are in line with David's prayers God's enemies will be completely and utterly desolated. They will be blotted out from the memory of the earth. So the question is still standing. Can we pray like this? Should we pray like this? Should a New Testament Christian pray this way? At first blush, most of us raised on the virtues of Christian charity, Christian love, and grace probably feel rather uncomfortable ever praying like this. So should we? Should we pray like this? Well, I think it is helpful first to set the parameters, right? We need to set the parameters um, as Paul says to the Corinthians that you may learn not to go beyond what is written. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. Uh, this is not a prayer to be used lightly for all for any reason this is not a prayer for when someone cuts you off in 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 in, in traffic right if they cut you off you, you should not pray may the memory of his name be cut off from the earth that, that's <laughs> this is not how we appropriate this prayer likewise this is not when um mcdonald's messes up your order and you pray that uh, may, uh, 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 may, may, may destruction come upon them. And this, this is not the case. It's not a prayer for that. More seriously, and, and, and I think you should listen to this very carefully, 
It's not a prayer just for anyone who insults you for your faith in your family or at work. It is not. So when should we pray like this? Uh, This kind of prayer is for those who actively and willingly seek the destruction of God's people. It is for those who will not cease till we are spiritually, intellectually, and physically extinguished. It is for those occasions that we should pray after David and Jesus in the psalm. And if we don't, then our hearts do not feel rightly. I've been reading uh, a lot of philosophers during lockdown, uh, Plato and, and Aristotle, and Aristotle taught that the purpose of education is to teach us how to feel. And, and the Psalms do that too, don't they? As I said, they speak the language of the soul. They teach us how to feel before God. They give us the, 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 the right pathos, the, 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 the right emotions before God. They, they teach us how to feel rightly. <clears throat> when we experience the kind of opposition expressed in this psalm, our right response should be for God to wipe them out. We must, we must uh, pray because they seek the damage of God's people and, and God's name. I find the Apostle Paul instructive here. Uh, look at how the apostle of God's justifying grace spoke of the bitter opponents of God's people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, he says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19b and verse 20, he says, I have handed Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Do you hear what the word of God is saying? God considered it, considers it just. It is justice in the eyes of God to repay with afflictions those who afflict you. It is instructive also um, when we see the prayers of the slain under the altar in Revelation chapter 6 verse 9 uh, and following. Uh, When you read verse 10, they pray out to God and say, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So it is appropriate to pray after David as a New Testament Christian. But what does it look like in practice, right? What does it look like in practice? For example, how should we pray when we see Isis holding a burning torch to a cage filled with children? How should we pray when we see them uh, hold three guns to a baby girl's head? How should we pray when we see these things that that should fill our hearts with rage? This is how we pray. I'll give you an example of how I pray. I pray for mercy and then I pray for justice. I pray something like this. Lord, do a radical work of the gospel among your enemies. You saved the Apostle Paul who was sent to butcher your people. Work your amazing grace among them. May they turn from evil to bow at your feet. 
and the feet of your son. But if not, crush the head of the serpent. Utterly devastate and extinguish their cause. Use whatever means necessary to wipe them out. Come quickly. Reap vengeance on your enemies. This is the best way I know how to pray the mercies of the gospel. A gospel that transforms enemies into God's children. And at the same time, be faithful to pray as this psalm teaches us to pray. David cries out for retribution. He cries out for vengeance. Now he cries out for deliverance. Lastly, we see the last appeal here. No, the third appeal actually. Third, we see the appeal. And in this appeal, we see God's people pray for deliverance. Verse 21 to verse 29. Why would God listen to David's prayer? Why would God listen to this prayer? It is because of God's covenantal name. He is the covenant-keeping God. It is because of who he is. Note the parallel phrases in verse 21. He says, for your name's sake and because of your steadfast love. This is covenantal language. It is a language of covenant. When, when God revealed his name to Moses in, 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 in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 to 7, God defined his name this way. Remember? God says, the Lord, the Lord. Oh, 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 a God merciful and, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the, on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is who God is. He, he, he always acts according to his name. More than this, God extended his covenantal blessings through David, who was uh, uh, promised an eternal kingdom. As Second Samuel chapter 7 says in verse 12 and 13, when your days, this is God promising David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, you die, I will raise up your offspring after you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, David's deliverance is grounded in who God is and what he, he said he would do for his people. God's reputation is on the line and God will not suffer his name to be tarnished. Jesus is David's offspring to whom 2 Samuel chapter 7 speaks. He is great David's greatest son. In his first coming, Jesus would arrive to bear the cares of his people. Look at verse 25 to verse 2025. It points toward Jesus. Verse 22, he came as one who is poor and needy. His heart was stricken. In, in the Hebrew word, that word uh, stricken in the Hebrew means to be wounded or to be pierced. This is the same word that is used when, it, when, when um, Isaiah is prophesying of Christ in Isaiah 53 verse 5 when he says that he was crushed for our transgressions. He was crushed. Uh, he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 25, his accusers waged, worked their heads at him. Jesus hung on the cross, scoffers mocked at him, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. 
if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In verse 22 to 25, they, they, they point to Jesus who became a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief that we might be saved. He bore our reproach. He bore the false and wicked accusation. He bore the curse of the cross in our place. It was on the third day that God raised them from the dead, vindicating Jesus' act of deliverance for his people. With God's covenantal mercies, we, like David's enemies, would remain under the... Without, without God's uh, covenantal mercies, we would remain under the curse of God. The, the, the cross itself is a symbol of death for all who forsake Jesus. But the cross is also a symbol of life for those who enter the blessing through him. Through the death of Jesus, we enter the eternal life of God. The, the Bible tells us that we, 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 we do that through repentance and faith. We repent that our works are evil and that we deserve God's judgment. And in faith, we believe that Jesus uh, that, that Jesus is God's means for forgiveness and salvation. Jesus is, is, is Lord, right? He's the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth, and he's our able means. Indeed, our only means of salvation and deliverance. This should give us every cause to cheer. And we see, lastly, David, briefly, he, after his protest and appeal, he turns to praise. And this is what we see in his praise. God's people worship him in confident hope and deliverance. God's people worship him in confident hope of deliverance, not in deliverance. Verse 30 to 31, the last two verses. In the close of the psalm, David's confidence is in God's covenant-keeping mercies that leads him to praise and thanksgiving to God. God stands at his side to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Jesus is our intercessor and no accusation in heaven or on earth can separate the church from his love what, what, what greater reason for worship and hope in God do we have than that, that nothing will separate us from the love of God even though our accusers even those who seek our life may actually put us to death the sword will not separate us from the love of God Praying like David liberates our hearts to worship and hope amidst bitter opposition. Brothers and sisters, the, the church faces hate for love every day. For on earth we are a curse. In heaven, Satan accuses us day and night before our God. But we have confidence in God's name. Though Satan knows his time is short and he will do everything uh, he can on earth and, and, and heaven to bring our ruin our mighty God will act we can be sure about that God will act on our behalf and his son is our defense though we pray every day how long O oh Lord our confidence is still in him we long for the day when evil will ever be extinguished from the earth. We long for, for what has long been written and promised in the scriptures. Uh, when, when Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 to, to 12 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, And now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. 
who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Let us rejoice in Jesus, our Savior and intercessor. When we witness in the news and firsthand the bitter opposition of our enemy, let's pray to our God for his ready aid. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your vengeance. Bring your deliverance. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, indeed vengeance belongs to God. In the midst of bitter opposition, in the midst of accusations, in the midst of people who seek to um, pour out the flame of your um, of your salvation, may you continue, Father, to show yourself great. Arise, O Lord, scatter your enemies. May the gospel spread everywhere it goes. May it burn like a fire that cannot be put out. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.